a listener production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Every week we choose a situation that is unfolding somewhere in the world, something that just needs some explanation, and then we break it down for you. Not me. That is not my area of expertise. That is this gentleman's, Dr. Keith Souter, couple PhD, international relations, uh, an Australian commentator for many decades in the media on international relations. Uh, you know, any situation to this gent, and he just knows something about it, probably the whole background more than any other person I've ever met. Quite extraordinary, Keith. My name's Kate Mack. We've worked together for a number of years in TV and this podcast. So let's get into this because it is it is a scary one because we've all seen Terminator. We've yeah. all seen the movies <laughs> where you've got these killer robots. That's right. My attention was drawn uh, to a report by the United Nations Association in the UK. I've been a member there for over half a century. And they've put out a report called Killer Robots, Who is Making the Decision? And... I remember that report having come out in the context of there being a war uh, between Armenia and Azerbaijan. I won't go into all the details, incredibly complicated. It's what was called a frozen conflict. In other words, as the Soviet empire expanded, it took over various ethnic groups down in the Caucasus and elsewhere and stopped people from fighting each other. And so Armenia and Azerbaijan have been rivals for a while. When the Soviet Union collapsed in in the early 1990s, then these two countries, Armenia and Azerbaijan, uh, were suddenly melted, if you like, from this frozen conflict. And they had their first war. Uh, They are disputing an area of territory called Nagorno-Karabakh. As I say, I'm not going into all the details of this. What is amazing is what happened last year. But going back 30-odd years ago, when they had their first big conflict, Armenia proved the clear winner in the conflict that followed in the 1990s and occupied the disputed territory. So that was in 1990. So Armenia, very good at fighting. Well, Azerbaijan, the losing side, is very rich because of oil. And so as the money poured in from oil over the last 20-odd years, so they've been out on a spending spree. And so they are now much more modern than Armenia in terms of military hardware. And in 2020, there was a return match. This time, Azerbaijan was a decisive winner and it retook possession of Nagorno-Karabakh territory. So what happened is that Azerbaijan, with all of its immense oil wealth, had acquired a drone fleet from Israel and Turkey. Not that the two favourite countries, if you like, Israel and Turkey, but they were both willing to supply these drones to another country. And the drones which they Azerbaijan bought enabled them to stalk and destroy Armenia's defence systems in Nagorno-Karabakh. And the Armenian soldiers, who are notorious for their fierceness, were spooked by the semi-autonomous weapons regularly flying above them. As uh, a person commented, the soldiers on the ground knew they could be hit by a drone circling overhead at any time. The drones are so quiet they could not hear the whir of their propellers until it was too late. 
And even if the Armenians did manage to shoot down one of the drones, what was really accomplished? Because it merely destroyed a piece of equipment that would be replaced. So this is the new era of drone warfare. So you've got drones that just go around over the, the battlefield. Now, the Americans pioneered, of course, the use of drones against uh, terrorist groups in Afghanistan, Iraq, Pakistan, Somalia. And in fact, um, President Obama killed more people that way than did President Bush. And this has continued under Trump and Biden. But what is now interesting is that military forces around the world have had to pay attention to this conflict, which was not well publicised outside of the the Caucasus region, because it's just so complicated getting your head around why people should be fighting for this piece of territory, Nagorno-Karabakh. But what the military have realised is there's a whole new military era that you can send soldiers out on the battlefield and they can be wiped out from these drones floating around in the air. So we're moving now to uh, what could be called the automated battlefield. So during the Vietnam War, General Westmoreland, called for the development of an automated battlefield. He wanted sensors spread out over the ground to be able to measure or monitor the movement of people. And so as you could detect people moving around, you would then fire shells at wherever the movement was occurring. So you have a curfew at night and you just simply say, well, no one's allowed to move. But then the problem was what happens if you have a kid who runs outside the hut? And the parent goes looking for the kid. They're they're not necessarily Viet Cong. They're just trying to look after their own kid. Uh, And so that really didn't work out very well because they couldn't get a sensor to tell the difference between a member of the Viet Cong on a raiding uh, activity and a parent looking after the children or a farmer getting up early, etc. So this was an idea of the automated battlefield raised uh, in the 1960s during the Vietnam conflict, but was not advanced. But what we're now seeing is a whole new chapter of warfare opening up when if you have enough drones, you will simply overwhelm your enemy and drown them in all of your weaponry because you can't shoot them down. And that makes obviously the prospect of war between the United States and China even more of a liability for us because you can imagine both countries are now monitoring this um, obscure conflict of Nagorno-Karabakh and are saying, well, we've got to learn the lessons of Azerbaijan and we've got to develop similar types of drones. So this is a new era of warfare that's already opened up. We're not speculating about the future. It's here. That first such battle was fought last year and won by the side that had the superior technology. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suter. We're talking about new era of combat, Keith, in which technology reigns supreme. In that case, we're talking about robots and drones and technology that is just above and beyond and doesn't require people to play a big role. And that's exactly the basis of the report from the UN Association in Great Britain. Killer robots, who is making the decision? So the UN Association in London is looking at the negotiations that have been going on now since 2014 at the United Nations um, under uh, the heading of the Convention on Certain Conventional Weapons and looking at what probably won't appear in the final legislation but 
what we would call killer robots. So it refers to an autonomous weapon system. So we've got drones. The next level up will be weapon systems that do the thinking for you, guided by artificial intelligence, and you don't even know how they're doing their reasoning. This is machine learning. The machine goes away and learns how to do things. So it's not taught by human beings. These are machines that do their own learning. Thank you very much. We don't need humans. And now it's going to be applied to the era of warfare. So the UN Association has produced this report. I've got to say it's pretty pessimistic because a lot of governments are not too keen on restricting this. They've seen how successful the the use of of drones were uh, last year. And a lot of the other countries are saying we need to have that similar sort of weapon system. And so we're not particularly optimistic um, about the development of a treaty banning them. So there is another move that's going on saying, well, look, instead of an outright ban, can we perhaps limit the circumstances into which they can be used? You've got to be able to make a distinction, a very basic point of international humanitarian law. You've got to be able to make a point between who's a, a combatant and who's not, who's fighting and who's not. Now, that's a very basic point, but robots may not be able to make that distinction. Humans hopefully can. Sometimes they can, but ignore it and still go ahead and shoot civilians. But theoretically, humans are supposed to be trained in being able to make that distinction. They may have problems in trying to program robots to understand that there is a distinction. Not all humans on a battlefield are necessarily the enemy. So on on this, Keith, like if you're saying that they're looking to develop, all these countries now want that drone technology and want that robot technology to enhance their own capabilities in that battle mentality. But what about where it comes to defence mechanisms? Because surely a country like America then goes and sees everyone who's been using this drone technology so successfully goes and, and develops technology which can shoot them down very quickly. You launch 5,000 of these things and they've got the technology to... Well, to stop that happening. Yeah, but the problem is we've seen this with the uh, so-called space wars, the anti-ballistic missiles, to try to shoot down into, into incoming missiles. The technology was never perfect. And so you've got to devise a technology which is 100% perfect if you want to stop them from coming in. The alternative is just simply to destroy the IT system of the other side, mm. which might also end up causing problems for you as well, including use of MasterCards or credit cards, you know, the, all the banking system will go down if you decide to go down the route of cyber warfare. So true. You're right. It's it's changed now. So now you just need the best hackers in the world and the best computer nerds because even less you do, you're screwed. Exactly. That's exactly it. So it's a whole new era of warfare that's opening up. I should also mention that in Australia we've got a, a group that's also working uh, for this that's called the Campaign to Stop Killer Robots. Um, I think it's based in Adelaide, Um, that is also trying to address this. So what we're looking at really is a campaign being led by grassroots organisations, really a rerun of the landmine campaign. And, of course, what's interesting is that that the Australian end of the anti-landmine campaign had as one of its uh, major uh, participants, Sister Patricia Packpoy, who was also based in Adelaide. So Adelaide seems to be a good place for launching these campaigns And what we were able to do with the landmines campaign is through just sheer public pressure. And, of course, I particularly acknowledge the role of Her Royal Highness Diana, the Princess of Wales. She did brilliantly in putting landmines on the the agenda. 
I remember uh, when I was chairing a Red Cross committee, we had a function here in Sydney with hundreds of, of people, including children, and, and we had brought out to Australia through cooperation with Qantas two people who had met Diana and had been photographed with them. And they were able to talk about their experiences. That was all part of getting the Australian government to sign up to the Landmines Convention, which, which the government did, to its credit. It was the Howard government that decided to sign it. The military didn't like that idea. The view of the military is that you spread the landmines across the top of northern Australia. So when the Indonesians invade, they'll walk into a wall of landmines. But the Howard government stood up to the military and went ahead and signed the treaty. So you can get public pressure bringing about changes in international law. We're a long way from solving the landmine problem. And, of course, tragically, we've still got a lot of landmines left in the world. We've still got munitions from World War I killing French farmers You're 100 joking. years after, 100 years later. And, and when they redeveloped Berlin after the collapse of the Berlin Wall, we had British bombs killing Germans on the building site. So these, these are things that stay around for an awfully long time. But you, we, with the Landmines Convention, we were able to show that we could use public opinion to try to limit the spread of landmines. And there is a certain sort of evil cachet. Nobody would boast about working for a landmines cut factory nowadays, uh, not in this country anyway. So um, what we're, that's what we're obviously, you've got some people hoping to achieve the same thing with killer robots. Because otherwise, we had been warned by the war last year between Azerbaijan and Armenia. That's the new era of warfare that we could be moving into. I submit somebody who covers the inaugural parades in Washington every four years. I just think that we're reaching a point where you will not be able to have those inaugurations out in the public because you could easily end up with drones coming right in and blowing up the new U.S. president, the former U.S. president, plus whoever else is is on the steps outside the congressional building. So true, Keith. And the other thing, I guess, uh, you know, for those of us who have seen the terrifying movies featuring killer robots, it is a very scary yeah. thought that they could be used in combat or indeed in any sort of capacity, really, because they don't have that emotional intelligence that humans have. Yeah. Would it be that bad? Would it be, you know, that they because in those movie sequences, they're programmed, they're used on the battlefield, but they're also programmed to go after people in society. Yep. And who knows where we, where we could be heading. That's why we need to have far more attention to this whole issue of killer robots. So I support the work done by the UN Association in Great Britain and here in Australia, it's the campaign to stop killer robots. Uh, their problem is that they're obviously having difficulty getting media coverage for this at this time because of, you know, COVID and all the rest of it. But it's certainly an issue that we ought to be paying far more attention to. Thank you for bringing it to our attention, Keith. Thank you. Global Truths was presented by Dr Keith Suter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.